we speak your name over our hearts, over our lives, over our family, over our marriages, over our church. Jesus, you are Lord. You are curious. You are the sovereign Lord of this universe. And Lord Jesus, we surrender our lives to your Lordship. You're an awesome God. And Lord, we ask you to come and rule and reign from our church, to our families, to our marriage, to our children. Lord Jesus, come in your mighty power and rule and reign. Give us obedient hearts that we may love you and follow you and obey you. For it's in the mighty and wonderful and victorious, eternal, powerful name, your name, Jesus, we pray these things. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. You may have a seat. All right. Well, this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18. We're looking at verses 18 through 38. So what I want to do is I want to read Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 22, so we get our minds oriented in the uh, direction that Scripture is taking us, taking us this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. The Scripture says, While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. Wow. So Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the Sovereign Lord. And he's also, we're going to see this morning, he is the great physician. He is our great physician. He is our healer. But when I read, when I read these stories, especially in Matthew chapter 9, the question that should come to your mind, that came to my mind as I was studying this week, is what is the relationship between faith and God's power? Is there a relationship between the believer's faith and the power of God working in their life? And I say absolutely, positively, yes. There is a response when God sees faith, biblical, true Biblical, authentic, believing, trusting, loving, living for him, faith. I believe God sees our faith. This morning we're going to study four miraculous healings here in this passage of verses 18 through 38. And in each of these healings, you're going to see it for yourself. Don't, don't, don't take Pastor David's word for it, because my word means nothing. It's God's word that means everything. You're going to see in God's word the special emphasis that Matthew places on the believer's faith. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this, and this was Charles Spurgeon's commentary on Matthew chapter 9. He says this, he touched them with his hands, but they also touched him with 
their faith. So as we study each encounter this morning, we're going to look at four. Let's learn how they touched Jesus with their faith. Exciting chapter, man. Jesus is blazing a trail in his ministry here on earth. He is healing the sick. He's performing supernatural miracles. He's going to raise someone from the dead. And this is going to be amazing. But that is the power of our sovereign Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that powerful. He is the one that spoke and the universe came into existence. If he can create this universe with his spoken word, healing is no issue at all. He can speak to the physical ailments of people and heal them. He can raise the dead. He is the sovereign Lord. So, let's study it. Matthew chapter 9, follow with me in your Bible or up on the screen with verse 18. It says this, While he was saying these things, saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. Now, I want you to place yourself there, okay? Here, Jesus comes face to face with every parent's worst nightmare. A father's daughter has died. The Gospel of Mark, if you go over to the Gospel of Mark, you can go there later, but it tells us that this man's name is Jairus, and his daughter was 12 years old. So he's desperate. She has died. He hears about Jesus and his earthly ministry, so he goes running to Jesus, and let me tell you something, he goes running to Jesus with faith. I want you to see in verse 18, the thing that we're studying this morning, we're looking at is the believers, you know, their response, are paying special attention to the characteristics of the people's faith who come to Jesus in the text. But verse 18 describes Jairus' faith in three ways. First off, it says in verse 18, it says there, the synagogue official came, Okay? So the first principle of Jairus' faith is he came to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to him. This was not initiated by Jesus. Jairus went running to the Lord Jesus. So the first principle of Jairus' faith is he went to Jesus. He went to him. Secondly, it says halfway through verse 18, he bowed down. When you bow, to bow down before the Lord Jesus is an act of worship. It's an act of reverence. It's an act that, Lord, I submit to you, the sovereign Lord. I bow and worship. Uh, Proskuneo is the Greek word, and, and it talks about laying your life down. The Magi did it when they came and they found baby Jesus, and they worshiped him, okay? So there's this bowing down. There's this act of worship, okay? And then thirdly, in verse 18, the very end of it, it says... Come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. Jairus believed in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you take all three of these aspects of his faith, I believe what it adds up to is this. He was in complete surrender. He was saying uncle to the Lord Jesus. He was in complete surrender to him. So Jairus' faith is a, is a surrender where he comes to Jesus, he bows down, and he believes in the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Verse 19. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. So what's taking place here is uh, Jesus sees his faith, and he's going to follow Jairus to where his daughter is. But something happens 
going from point A to point B. That's why I said this, this, this text is action-packed. And going to visit Jairus' daughter, a lady comes up behind Jesus. Look at verse 20. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if, only, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and, and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. Now, first off, you need to understand, this woman was in very bad shape. I don't know about you, but when I get sick, you can ask my wife, after 12 hours, I'm a basket case, okay? And I'm no good. After 24 hours, she's having to take care of me because I'm just no good. But 12 years, 12 years, she suffered with a hemorrhage. A hemorrhage is a flow of blood. A flow of blood was coming from her body. So she had suffered for a very, very long time. I can't, can you imagine what suffering and sickness and disease does to a person for 12 years? I mean, I'm a mess after a day. And, and, and many people suffer greatly. Uh, Mark's gospel adds to this. You, you find this account in the other gospels. And Mark's gospel adds that she spent all of her money on going to see doctors. Yet each year she was getting worse and worse. And then she finally hears the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I can't help but to think but that faith just arose in her heart. This hope, the living, eternal hope, was walking on planet Earth, and she heard his name. And now she's pressing her way through the crowd. She's pressing her way through the crowd. If only I can touch the hem of this garment, I will be healed. So she's going after him. How does this scripture, how is her faith described? What does what the word said, say? She focused on simply touching the garment of Jesus. Please take note, verse 22. Look at verse 22 closely. He says to her, your faith has made you well. That's what Jesus said. He says to her, your faith has made you well. You came after me. So that begs the question, what is the relationship between faith and the power of God? What is the relationship between those two? Here's my answer. Faith, I'm going to say this clearly, methodically, so you, hopefully you pick up what I'm saying. But here it is. Faith is the instrument, not the power itself. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. Okay? Faith is like a lightning rod that you attach to the side of your house. A lightning rod has no power in and of itself. The, the power is in the lightning bolt that strikes the rod from above. The lightning rod is the conduit, conduit for the lightning bolt from above. God's power healed her through the channel of her faith. Okay? So she had faith. God sees her faith, responds to her faith, and, he, and the Lord Jesus Christ heals her. In one of the other gospels, he, he, he turns and says, where did that, he, he said, I felt power come out from me. Where did it come from? And he's looking back in these crowds of people that are pressing into him. And he realizes it's the woman that touches him because of her amazing faith. God calls you and I, friends and family, to more than just a dry, orthodox belief. 
We need a living faith. You and I need a living faith that stirs the heart of God. And in response, God moves mightily in our life. I mean, seriously. Do you just pray just so you can say, well, I prayed about it. You know, do we, do we, I do that. I'm guilty of that. Well, I prayed about it. As this is check off the mark as if, well, God's not going to answer. But I checked the mark. I prayed for it. I call that going through the motions. I call that going through the motions. Or do you pray with faith and expectation that God will answer? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You and I are looking up at the same blue sky that the early church looked at, okay? He worked miracles then. He can work them today. And my heart's cry as I read this passage and I meditated on it all week, my heart's, my heart's cry for myself, I don't know about you, but for David, was let faith arise. Let faith arise. Not this name it, claim it, or, 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 or claim things that are unbiblical, but Lord, we trust you, we believe you to work mightily in our lives for healing, for, for uh, deliverance, for, for salvation. You know, let's pray and let's ask God to move mightily in our lives and let's have faith that he will. Don't look at the circumstances. Take your eyes off the circumstance and put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your eyes on, in his faith and his power and stand on the word of God and believe it with all your heart. Let faith arise. Verse 23. Um, okay, so Jesus has healed her. Remember, it started off with Jairus. Jairus says, please come, come um, raise my daughter. He heals the woman, and now he gets to the house at verse 23. It says in verse 23, when he gets to uh, Jairus' house, when Jesus came into the official's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder. Funerals in the ancient world are completely different than the funerals we have today. Today, funerals are somber, and they're very quiet, and, but not in the ancient world. Not in the ancient world. They would hire professional musicians and mourners to make it a very dramatic event when someone passed. So when Jesus shows up at this house, there's all these musicians and singers and mourners and it's a lot of chaos and it's real noisy. It's people I imagine are on edge. But look at what he says in verse 24. As he goes into the house, leave, comma, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. They're like, dude, you're too late. She is dead. What, who is this dude? Who is this guy, Jesus? And, and they're, they're laughing at him. But when the crowd, verse 25, but when the crowd had, sent, had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and, and the girl got up. First off, what we need to understand is this was a command. This was not a request. This was the sovereign Lord the eternal God, incarnate flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking in Mark chapter 5, verse 41. He says, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Get up. It was his power and his authority to call her back to life. Jesus raises Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from the dead. Can you imagine the joy can you imagine the joy that he experienced seeing his daughter? And can you imagine 
the amazement and the awe in the house, in the room, and those around. Whoa, this dude is who he really is. He is eternal God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. See, the, the signs and wonders and the miracles in the New Testament, while yes, they do validate who Jesus is. They are a sign of his deity and his authority. But they're also a sign of his compassion and his love for a sinful, fallen, broken world. Jesus said to Martha in John chapter 11, before raising Lazarus, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. See, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he raised the dead to show his power and his glory and his sovereignty over creation and even over physical death. He, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised this young girl from the dead. And you ready for this? Big thoughts, okay? I'm going to stretch your mind this morning. One day, he's going to raise you from the dead. Amen. One day, he's going to raise you from the dead. You know, hopefully, the Lord Jesus Christ returns in our lifetime and we go up in the rapture. But if for some reason, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get a new body, but if for some reason you do pass uh, before his return, one day he will raise you from the dead. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 54. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We, us, the body of Christ. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying what is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. You know, one of the many joys of being a Christian is this, knowing who controls life and death. The Lord Jesus Christ. You're trusting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He's living in your heart by your Holy Spirit. He controls your destiny. He controls our life. And our sovereign Lord will one day um, give us glorified bodies. The Christian life can be described in three stages, what most theologians put it. The first one is justification. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification took place when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay, You were justified. You were made right in the sight of God. Then there's sanctification. Sanctification, that big theological word, simply means growing. You're growing in your faith. You're growing in your love. You're growing in your obedience. Sanctification will last your entire lifetime, okay? But there's coming a day where you will be glorified. You'll have this brand new, eternal, immortal body, no disease, no sicknesses, and you will live forever. You will live forever. That's mind-blowing. I mean, do you think about the greatest reward of Christianity? One of the greatest rewards of Christianity, not only seeing, I would say seeing God is first, our first reward of Christianity. But number two, the benefit of being a Christian is you have eternal life. You have eternal life. The sting of death. Now, we, we're going to pass in this life. And the reason we're going to pass in this life is because of sin. Okay? 
We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And sin has brought death. But through the cure, through our faith and belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will one day receive a brand new body. And you will be raised from the dead. Don't get these, stop, don't think about the Netflix and the zombie movies. That's weird thinking, unbiblical thinking. That's, That's nothing like this new body. This new body you're going to receive is going to be just like Jesus' resurrected body after he rose from the grave. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be eternal. It's going to blow your mind. You're going to love it so much. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. So he, he, uh, he, he, uh, he raises her from the dead. Verse 26 This news spread throughout all the land. Verse 27, as Jesus went out from there, two blind men. Oh, this one's good. I love this one. This is one of my favorites of the four. Verse 27, as Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, this is important. Look at what they said. Have mercy on us, son of David. What does that statement tell us about their faith? Jewish, amen, they were Jewish. You're right, they, they knew it because they, they, he was, they, they cried out, have mercy on this son of David. But the thing I want to pull out of this text is this, their faith always looks to eternity. It always looks, faith, biblical Christian faith, always looks to the thing that is most important, okay? It looks to, what, to what's, what's eternal. These two blind men, take note, think about it theologically, these two, blind, these two men were blind physically, but spiritually, their eyes were wide open. Their faith realized what was most important. They asked for what? Mercy. And they acknowledged that Jesus was Israel's Jewish Messiah. So, so, they, so their faith, being blind, they cried out for what was most important. Lord, we need to experience your mercy. And they acknowledged who Jesus is, the King of Israel. I know people today in this life, and I'm sure you do also, they do not love, they do not obey, and they do not follow Jesus. But as soon as they come down with a sickness or a disease, they get super spiritual. Not because they want to repent of their sins, get saved, and follow Jesus, but because they want God to heal them. They should learn from these two blind men. Before you ask God to heal you, you need to get saved. Experience his mercy and proclaim him as your Lord and Savior. You need to get your heart right with God. That's what's most important. I am so, okay, you're looking at, I love football. I love college football more, but I like like NFL. I'm so thankful for the young man and God raising him up, the, the Buffalo Bills player that got hurt the other night. I'm very thankful for his progress, and I am praying for his healing, and I am praying for his complete recovery. I've read that he's a believer, and I'm very thankful for all that. But you know what I'm also equally important and happy for? The NFL is allowing us to pray on the football fields again. How cool is that? So let's, 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 let's continue to pray for this young man's healing, but let's also begin praying every Sunday on the football fields, that all the football players and all the people in the stands repent and put their trust in Jesus. Okay? 
Let's put what's most important, most important. Again, I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that, that they've, it seems like now they're, they're, they're cool with praying on the football field. So let's continue to pray on the football fields. And let's, but let's pray for what's most important, that people turn to Jesus and put their hope and put their trust in him. So they, they, they're crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Uh, look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, and when he entered the house, the blind man came up to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? So he's challenging their faith. He's getting up in their grill and saying, do you believe I can do this? It's a beautiful, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful statement, a wonderful question to check their authenticity. But look at what they say. They say to him two words. That's two words that you and I should say to the Lord Jesus. Look at the end of verse 28. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What a beautiful declaration of faith to say, yes, Lord. Have you expressed, have you expressed your faith to Jesus this way? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I believe your word. What a beautiful declaration of these men's faith. They, 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 they say, yes, Lord, I believe. And that should be our heart cry and our relationship with the Lord is we say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe your word and I want to follow you. And, and their healing, look at verse 30, just five words. And their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened. The Lord Jesus Christ in his omnipotent, almighty power just reached in there spiritually, physically, and touched his eyes. And all of a sudden, he went from, they went from being blind to physically being able to see. What's cool about verse 30, I'll park here for a second, their eyes were opened. What's the first thing these men saw when they opened their eyes? Jesus. I can't think of a better thing to open up your eyes to, to being, to being blind, unable to see, and you experience a healing, and then all of a sudden your eyes open, and you're staring face to face with God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is just mind-blowing, mind-blowing to, uh, to, to put yourself there and think about what's taking place between these two men and the Lord Jesus. I want you to meet Francis Jane Crosby. Francis Jane Crosby, also known as Fanny Crosby. She was a Puritan who lived from 1820 to 1915. At the age of six, she became blind from an eye disease and was never able to see. She lived to be 95 years old. She lived for 95 years and was never able to physically see. In her lifetime, she wrote over 8,000 hymns for the Puritans. The most famous hymn is Blessed Assurance. Y'all know that song? She, she, she is the author of Blessed Assurance. She also wrote the song Rescue the Perishing. Uh, Billy and Cindy Foote have, have redone that song. But she wrote many wonderful hymns throughout her life being blind. Once her mother was lamenting over her daughter's condition... And Francis told her mother, and I quote, Mother, if I had a choice 
I would choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. She understood what was most important in her faith. Again, going back to these men, faith always looks to eternity. Okay? We don't make an idol out of survival. I want to live a lone life. You want to live a lone life. I believe in healing. You want to believe in healing. But let's always keep what's most important, most important. And that is our relationship with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pick it up halfway through verse 30. Halfway through verse 30. Jesus sternly warned them. See that no one knows about this. But they went out, they, didn't, they couldn't handle it. <laughs> they couldn't handle it. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. You know, all I can say to that is, is when, when, when Jesus opens your eyes, you can't help but to tell other people. You can't help but to be thankful. And so they do. They go out and, and they spread the news about him. Verse 32. As they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. Verse 33, after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. Here, this is interesting here, uh, because the man's inability to speak caused, excuse me, was caused by demon possession. Jesus, look at the text, read it for yourself. Jesus cast out the demon, and his ability to speak is restored. So there can be a connection between demonic oppression, spiritual warfare, and our physical health. Uh, So he restores it. Halfway through verse 33, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, I love this statement, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. You know, here we are 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, and no one has had a greater impact on this world than Jesus. He is the most talked about person, the most written about person, the the most amazing person, because he is the person. He is God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the greatest person to ever walk the face of this planet. No one has ever seen or heard anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were dull. They were religious. They were judgmental. They were hypocritical. But what was Jesus? Jesus brought life. Jesus brought healing. Jesus brought deliverance. And he brought the power of God to earth. Jesus came to this world to bring us truth, salvation, and healing. He, he came to bring us truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. John 17, I think verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He came to show us what is real, family. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is in the real deal because he is the truth. Secondly, he came to bring salvation. He came to bring deliverance from the bondages of Satan. He came to deliver us, save us from eternity in hell. He came to to rescue us from the domain of darkness. He came to forgive us of our sin. He came to bring salvation, to set our souls free, to walk in liberty, to walk in freedom. 
That's what salvation is. It's the most glorious, beautiful, awe-inspiring, amazing experience on planet Earth than to trust in Christ for salvation. And he came to bring healing. He came to heal us spiritually, physically, and mentally because he is the great physician. Verse 34. But the Pharisees were saying he cast out the demons by the rulers of the demons. I'm going to talk more about this when we get to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus readdresses this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. We'll teach more on that, but basically they're accusing him of blasphemy. They're accusing God of blasphemy. That shows you how dull and how uh, darkened and fallen their minds were that God was standing before them and they didn't even realize it. Verse 35, Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And I like how Matthew, he uses that word every twice. In other words, he says, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's nothing that can happen in this world that's above his authority and above his sovereignty. It says he healed my place every kind of disease and every kind of sicknesses that's why when they saw Jesus they were like wow this is eternal God because he healed every disease he healed every sickness and he brought the good news of the kingdom but look at verse 36 it says seeing the people he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd I, I just I just love this phrase in verse 36. It says, seeing the people, he felt what? He felt compassion. He felt compassion. Were the miracles of Jesus and his healing a sign of his deity to authenticate his truth? Yes, they were that. They were, they were to show that he was God and, and that he, he is the way, the truth, the life. But I believe it goes more than that. It shows the compassion of, of God. It shows the compassionate nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, these, these miracles show his compassion. They reveal his kindness. They reveal his kindness towards us. They reveal his love for us. He sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our disease. He sees us in our fallen state. And he desires to show compassion, kindness, and love In compassion, this shows his compassion for a world broken by sin. We all live in this world together. And this world that we live in is broken by sin. And that sin came as a result of the fall. Because Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. It brought the curse. It brought the fall. You say, how dare them? It's their fault. It's Adam and Eve's fault. They brought the curse. Why am I suffering? Ask yourself, have you kept the law? You and I, friends and family, we're just as guilty as Adam and Eve. Okay? The same sins that they commit, the same sins we commit. We're we're in this together. We live in a fallen, broken world. But Jesus shows compassion for this fallen, broken world by offering truth, salvation, and healing. And he felt compassion on them, for they were distressed, and they were dispirited like a sheep without shepherd. You know, 
without, a, without Jesus in your life, without a church body to come around you, without having a pastor and a shepherd and having a spiritual family to surround you, are we not all like this? That's how I was before I came to Christ. I was distressed and I was dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, the Bible compares us throughout Scripture. The Bible compares us to sheep because sheep don't always make the best choices. And sheep need a shepherd. And we know from the Gospels that Jesus is what? He's our great what? Shepherd. You need Christ to lead you. You need Christ to guide you. You need Christ to be there for you and be there with you. Let him be your shepherd. Let's wrap it up here. Verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Verses 37 and 38 are the transition to the next chapter. We're going to see in the next chapter next week at chapter 10, verse 1 where Jesus picks it up and he calls his disciples and sends them out. But in a nutshell, verses 37 and 38, the world around us is the harvest, and you and I are the workers. And there is a world out there that needs to know Jesus. They need to know him, and they need to know his power. And you and I are the workers in the field of this world, spreading the good news of Jesus, spreading his truth, spreading his love, spreading his grace to the world around us. I want to go back to my statement from Charles Spurgeon because the title of my message is uh, The Great Physician and my question was uh, what's the relationship between faith and God's power? Charles Spurgeon says this, he touched them with his hands but they also touched him with their faith. You know, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself is let faith arise. Let faith arise. Let us touch God with our faith, just like they did in the Bible. Let's believe God for the supernatural. I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking about driving a Lamborghini. I'm not talking about owning an expensive home. I'm talking about taking God at his word to have faith for people's salvation, deliverance, and healing of the people that he brings into our life and that we get the privilege to reach out to and minister to. Let us touch the heart of God with our faith. Let faith arise. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Spend awesome time in prayer and let that prayer, let your prayer be, Lord, increase my faith. Let me love you more today than I did yesterday. Let me trust you more today than I did yesterday. Let me obey you more today than I did yesterday. Let faith arise and understand this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great physician. Amen? Love you guys. Be encouraged by the word. Let faith arise. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this teaching, for this chapter that you've written in Holy Scripture, for us to study on on your healing power. Lord, I pray that we all trust you more, love you more, and and let our faith arise. And Lord, let us believe you, Lord, for, for, for your work in our world. Let us believe you for salvation. Let us believe you and trust you for deliverances. Let us believe you and trust you for healing. 
in the people that we come in contact with for ourselves, for our family, for our children, for our neighbors, and all those that we touch with your truth and grace. For Lord, we love you and praise you. And it's in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.